0: All right, let's open up our Bibles to Psalm 122. <clears throat> Psalm 122, a song of a sense of David. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem, built as a city that is bound firmly together, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. There thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers' and companions' sake, I will say, Peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. This is our reading of God's joy-giving word. May all who hear it be glad as they go to the house of the Lord. So why do we gather together? What draws us to this building every Sunday. I mean, when there are so many other things that we could be doing, why do we come here? I mean, think about it. You could be having brunch right now. You could be exercising. You could be sitting at home playing video games or watching the NFL pregame. You could be visiting family. You could be skiing. You could be ice fishing. Or better better yet, you could be sleeping in. You could be catching up on some Z's. And yet for some reason, you all woke up, got dressed, perhaps ate some breakfast, and you came here. Why? And what is it about this place, about these people, about this God whom you serve that you feel the need to come to church. I mean, not everybody does this. Not even those who call themselves Christians. And yet here you are, ready to worship. Why? I, I believe the answer can be found in our psalm for today. We, we are now in our third week of these psalms of ascent. These, these songs that were sung by pilgrim travelers making their way to Jerusalem. And our psalm for today was a psalm that was written by King David himself. I mean, think about that. This, this man whom the Bible claims was a man after God's own heart. He was the author of these words. And in this psalm, we, we will discover from this king the, the joy that he experienced when he was able to gather with his people as they went up to the house of the Lord. Now, just as I stated, this, this is a psalm of ascent, the third of 15 such psalms. These were the songs that were sung by the Jews as they would ascend into Jerusalem to worship. These were the recognizable, the the popular hymns, if you will, of those who who were hiking upward with the intent of attending the annual feasts. And the reason they had to go up was because Jerusalem had been built on Mount Moriah, right? The same heights where Abraham and his son Isaac had climbed all those years ago that we'd been studying about in Genesis, the same heights where God had tested Abraham when he asked this man to, to offer up his, his son, his only son, upon the altar. The same heights where, where God then stayed Abraham's hand before Abraham could slit Isaac's throat. The same heights where God provided a ram caught in a thicket as a substitutionary <laughs> sacrificial atonement. And now it was the same heights where all of God's people journeyed every year in order to offer the substitutionary sacrificial atonements for their own sins, for their own misdeeds. God had provided a way for his people to find forgiveness for their sins and to be deemed righteous before him. And so this ascent. This steady climb towards Jerusalem, it was meant to be a joyous time for God's people. And that's why they sang these songs. They wanted to give praise to their God of mercy for all the joy that he had brought to them. And no more do we f- see this joy expressed than in our psalm for today. You see, Psalm 122 is a song of triumph. It is a song of elation. It is a song of gratitude. Whereas our first two psalms, they were cries of help. They were people crying out because they needed God to intervene. And yet this third psalm of ours is more like an offering of praise, as well as a word of thanksgiving. And while there is an expression of supplication towards the end, the request that David makes in this psalm was not addressing any pressing need, so to speak. Rather, it was a prayer spoken in times, a blessing. So let's talk about this psalm and how it's structured. I mean, just as these pilgrims on their their way to Jerusalem made this steady climb, so too do we See a a stair like progression in our psalm. If one were to outline this passage, there, he he would see three upward movements, upward movements in the in the worshiper's advancement towards God. In, in verses one and two, we see the pilgrim's joy as he enters into the city of Jerusalem. He he is standing within the city's gates and. And he and his companions are there to worship the Lord together. And then in verses 3 through 5, we witness the the pilgrim's praise of his God as he now walks into the city and gazes upon the glory that is God's kingdom. And finally, in verses 6 through 9, we listen to the pilgrim's prayer. as he he reaches the heights and approaches the throne of God within the temple and asks for God's peace and security. And so we have these three movements, each one progressing steadily upward in our psalmist's approach to Yahweh. But what is the foundation that, that undergirds his steps? What is, what is the main thrust that our author has in mind? And what does the pilgrim's joy and the pilgrim's praise and the pilgrim's prayer point us to? Well, they point us to a kingdom that has been established by Yahweh. A kingdom that, that connects God's people with one another, and more importantly, God's people with God himself. And so this psalm of ours it is about both fellowship and worship and the joy that those things bring. Fellowship amongst God's people and worship of God himself. Let's, let's look at these three upward movements and see what we can learn. Let's look at the, our first step, the pilgrim's joy. Look at verses 1 and 2 again. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Now, the first thing that that you should notice when you read these verses is the tremendous joy that is in David's voice. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. I mean, I can just picture the smile on David's face, even though I have no clue what he looked like. I mean, he was rejoicing with his fellow Israelites. He he was filled with gladness. And why was he rejoicing? Because his fellow Israelites had the same heart that he had, right? They were of one of core one accord in what they desired. They said to him, let us go to the house of the Lord. Their longing was to worship Yahweh. You see, there was a a unity among God's people. For, For each one yearned to be in God's presence. They were of one mind in the fact that they wanted to go to the house of the Lord. And that, my friends, brought tremendous, tremendous joy to David. Similarly, we too can find great joy today when we look around this room. When we see the faces of those with whom we have unity. Because like David, we have said to one another, let us go to the house of the Lord. This is the beauty of the church. For there is this community, this strong bond that binds us together more than anything else. And that community is is a fact that we call Christ our King. That, That is one reason why coming to church each Sunday should be a delight to us. Why it should make us glad. For when you go to the house of the Lord, you're going to be with family. And yet it wasn't just the unity that brought David joy, was it? For he was also delighted in the one whom he was worshiping. Going to Jerusalem, going to the house of the Lord, meant that he was going into the presence of his first love. For it was in this city, in the city of Jerusalem, that had been placed the tabernacle in which God resided. Yahweh had set his throne among his people, and it thrilled David's heart to come before him. Of course, today it is not a building or a tent where God resides. Rather, it is in the hearts of men. It was in John chapter 4, verse 21, when Jesus spoke to the Samaritan woman at the well concerning true worship and what it, what it truly is. Listen to Christ's words. Jesus said to her, And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Friends, when we gather together as God's people, what we are doing is entering into a sacred space. A space where we leave behind the, the, the realms of this world and pass into God's kingdom. But it's, it's not the building itself that makes this place sacred. Rather, it is the people within. Those who, who worship in spirit and truth. I hope you see that, that you are what make it sacred. Just as in the days of David, when, when Jerusalem and the, and the tabernacle resent, represented the throne of God, so too today, when we gather together, we come before the throne of Jesus. You may be thinking to yourself, how is that so? Listen to the Apostle Paul and the words that he wrote in his letter to the church in Corinth. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. I mean, do you understand what Paul is saying here? He is saying that we, as God's church, as God's people, are the new dwelling place of God. That he lives within us. And so when we gather together in his name, it's as if we are entering in to the heavenly tabernacle where Christ is king and is seated upon his throne. There is a reason we are called the body of Christ. For where two or three are gathered, he is present. And this is the understanding that, that you should have as God's people. That when you come to church, that when you gather together in this place, you are entering into the presence of God. You have come to the Holy of Holies. To that sacred space. Now let me ask you. Does the thought of that. Bring you joy. Does it delight your heart. When you enter into the house of the Lord. Because it should. It it should be your joy. to, To join with your family. And to praise his name. Brothers, sisters, what what King David is telling us here is is that when we gather together in worship of our God, even though we are here on this earth, we are getting a taste, a a foreshadow, if you will, of what that heavenly glory will be like in the coming kingdom when Christ returns, when, when heaven and earth will be joined as one. And that's because when God's people are gathered together for worship, then we, we ourselves are lifted up into the heavenlies. We are in the presence of Christ himself. We are in the presence of his glory, where his glory can be felt, where his glory can be heard, where his glory can be tasted, where his glory can be smelled, and where his glory can be seen. Listen, if you think the joy of God's heavenly kingdom is going to be like some endless game of golf where you're shooting like Tiger Woods, well, that's, that's not the case. If you think it's like Cedar Point or like Disney World, some kind of angelic amusement park, well, then perhaps you need to mature in your understanding what the new heavens and the new earth will be like. I mean, don't get me wrong, when, when Christ returns, your, your new home will be full of delights. But the glory of it all, the unspeakable joy that will fill it, will be the glory of God himself. He will be your focus. And praising his name will be your true heart's desire. It'll, it'll be what you want to spend your time doing. In fact, everything that you think brings you delight now will suddenly become very, very dull and commonplace. I mean, after all, it is the worship of God for which you have been created. I mean, this is what we say in our catechism, right? What is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Forever. And we are the fortunate ones whom Christ has found. We have an opportunity to taste that delight every single Sunday as we get a preview of those new heavens and new earth when we gather together. As we join as one in this place where God is enthroned. in this entertainment age in which we live we struggle in cultivating a right perspective when it comes to worship of God that it is of far greater joy than Netflix or YouTube and instead we we have focused on what pleases our fleshly desires have we not rather than developing that, that spiritual craving that God has placed within us, we, we, we run to whatever gives us immediate gratification. And one of the reasons that we do this is because we don't have the right perspective. And this is why we see in, in many churches today, churches that are, are plagued by this incessant need to entertain. Right? And they no longer gather to worship, rather, they gather to amuse one another. It's why many of them play secular music instead of music that focuses our, our minds and our hearts upon the glory of Christ. It's why they've replaced the preaching of God's word with, with self help messages that could be given at a TED Talk or comedy routines that could be heard at a casino. That's why they limit their messages to 20 minutes, because they they have caved to the the fickle demands of secular entertainment, and they don't really care about training people rightly, about diving deep into God's Word. They'd they'd rather pull the strings of your emotions than to do the hard work of renewing your minds. Now, Now, this is not to say that worship of God cannot be emotional, because... It can and it is. But our emotions need to be driven by the spirit of God and by his truth. They're not to be driven by some guitar riff or the beat of the drums. As great as those things can be, if they're, if they're not directing your eyes towards your king, then they're simply senseless noises. No, when when David says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. What he was getting at was being enraptured within the glory of God with both his heart and his mind. He was speaking of that sweet unity that is shared when brothers and sisters join together in worship of their king. He was speaking of the gladness that filled his heart knowing as he approached the throne that his God is merciful. And this should be our desire each and every Sunday. In fact, going to church should be the highlight of your week. More than any football game. More than any new release at the movies. For it is a a foretaste of, of the day when Christ shall descend of when faith shall become sight and all of our wildest dreams will come true. Listen, if if you call yourself a Christian, but you don't want to go to church, then I really have to wonder if you truly know what Jesus is all about. David understood. And this is exactly what we see as he continued his approach to the house of the Lord. David was filled with joy. And because of that, we see his pilgrim's praise. Look once again at our psalm. Look at verses 3 through 5. Jerusalem, built as a city that is bound firmly together, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord as as was decreed for Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord. There, thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. During David's reign, he established Jerusalem as a a focal point of Israel. Not only did he build his palace within this city, but he moved the tabernacle there as well. And he established plans for the construction of of God's temple, a more permanent home for the Lord, which eventually his son Solomon built. And so in this city, you had both, both the priestly rule as well as the king's throne. And so Jerusalem was not only the center of religious life, but it was at the heart of Israel's political power as well. For it was there that you found the throne of Yahweh alongside the throne of man, creating this theocracy, which was the kingdom of God. Our psalmist, King David, sees all these things and rejoices in the fact that God's rule has come to his people. It is a picture of how life was originally intended. God living side by side with man and entrusting man with his dominion, entrusting him with rule over his kingdom. It's a, it's a beautiful picture. Here in, a, in America, we don't live in a theocracy, do we? We have separated the authorities of the state and the authority of God. And for the most part, the, the kingdoms of this world, whether it be America or some other nation, they battle against the kingdom of heaven. And as a result, we as Christians are simultaneously living in, in two kingdoms. You have your earthly citizenship and you have your citizenship which is in heaven. And the two, they, 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 they come into conflict quite often, do they not? And yet when we walk into this church, when we meet together as the people of God, we leave the kingdoms of this world outside that door. That's why we don't fly an American flag, or any other flag for that matter, when we meet. For our loyalty is to King Jesus alone. And when we gather together, when we enter into God's presence, we are declaring to one another that our allegiance is to his kingdom. As I said before, when we come together to worship, it is a little foretaste of our ultimate destiny, of when Christ will return and when the kingdoms of this world will be done away with. And the kingdom of God will overshadow everything else. Look at, look at Revelation chapter 11, verse 15. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Dear friends, there will come a day when when Jesus will take full dominion upon this earth, and nations like the United States will be no more. For Christ, he will be your earthly king. So when we come together here in this church, we are no longer on U.S. soil. We are on Christ's soil. We are in his kingdom. And every time we praise the name of our Lord, we are proclaiming that our loyalty belongs to Jesus Christ first and foremost. I think the author of Hebrews expresses it best. But you have come to Mount Zion, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels and festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. This. This right here is where you are at right now. You are in the heavenly assembly joined by angels. You are before the judge of all men. You are before the saints who have gone on to perfection. And you are before Jesus, the one who died for your sins by shedding his own blood. And this, this, my friends, is why you praise your God. But David, our our psalmist, even though he had this glorious vision of God's kingdom, he knew that this world was not yet right. And so his praise turned into prayer. Look at at the last verses in our psalm. Look at verses 6 through 9 and see David's pilgrim prayer. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. Peace and security, those are the things that David desires. In the original Hebrew, Jerusalem meant the city of peace or a peaceful foundation. And when David had originally conquered it, the, the vision that he saw was that it, that it would be established as a stronghold for God's people, that it would be a, a sanctuary, a place of refuge. Look at, look at 1 Chronicles chapter 11, verses 4 through 9. And David and all Israel went to Jerusalem, that is Jebus, where the Jebusites were the inhabitants of the land. The inhabitants of Jebus said to David, You will not come in here. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion, that is the city of David. David said, Whoever strikes the Jebusites first shall be chief and commander. And Joab, the son of Zuriah, went up first, and he became chief. And David lived in the stronghold, therefore it was called the city of David. And he built the city all around from the mellow and incomplete circuit. And Joab repaired the rest of the city. And David became greater and greater, for the Lord of hosts was with him. Now here's the thing. The reason that David desired this city was because it was such a strategic place. For one, it was built high upon the mountain, which gave it a natural defense. And with the construction of the walls for fortification, it would be almost impossible to overrun, even with a formidable army. And yet, even though it was built upon the heights, it possessed a water source within the city that could be tapped into if it was ever besieged. And so Jerusalem was a place of security. It was a city where where one could truly seek peace. And this was why it became the capital of Israel and why David built his palace there. It's why he moved the the, the tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant to this city. It's why he established plans to build a more permanent temple. Because he knew that in Jerusalem, his people would be able to worship their God in peace And yet even though Jerusalem had these securities, David still prayed to the Lord. He didn't rely simply on the protection of a mountain, the protection of walls, the protection of men. For he knew that this city's best help, this city's best security would come from God alone. And we too, as God's people, should pray as David prayed. The world in which we live doesn't offer a whole lot of peace and security, does it? Sure, there are times when when we have felt like we've got it, right? We have it. But then along comes a virus or a shooting or riots along comes a, a terrorist attack and suddenly this peace and security that we thought we once had vanishes away it becomes a mist and it doesn't take much for for our once stable world to fly out of control and that's why we as God's people we when we come before our lord we must go to him in prayer And that's because we must find our security in him alone. And did you notice that there were two reasons that that David gave as to why he prayed? For the sake of his brothers and companions and for the sake of the house of the Lord our God. When, When we pray for peace, when we ask God for security, we don't do so for our own sake, but for the sake of those whom we love, so that they can find rest in the comfort of God. This is why every Sunday during, during our Sunday school, we pray for one another, because there are people within our church and, and without our church who do not have peace, who do not have security. I dare say that everyone in this room knows of someone who could use some help. Do you believe that the one who can help them is the Lord your God? Do you trust in his care above all else? That's what David did. He didn't rely on the securities of a fortified city on a mountain. He trusted in his God. But we should also pray for the sake of the house of the Lord our God. What does this mean? It means that even when there is no peace outside the doors of this church, we can have peace within. We can live in in harmony and in unity with one another. And that's because when we gather together, we are entering into that sacred space where we can leave behind the kingdoms of this world and join into God's kingdom. Remember, it is not the building itself that makes this place sacred. Rather, it is the people within and the God whom they worship that make it sacred. Just as Jerusalem and the temple represented the throne of God, so too Jesus Christ is our heavenly kingdom and we go to him in order to find that peace in order to find that security and that's because in Christ there is a greater peace that we could ever than we could ever experience out there in the world even if all the wars had ended and all the violence went away there is a greater security in Jesus Christ than having strong walls in an elevated position For the true battle that men have been fighting since the dawn of time is our own rebellion against God himself. And yet Jesus Christ, he he is the one who has brought peace to this greatest war that has ever been fought. And he did so by dying for his enemies and offering to them his forgiveness. By offering his grace and his mercy, which can only be found at the cross. Dear friends, it is only through the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ that you can find true peace. And it is this peace that we find in him that allows us to have peace with one another. For when we truly understand how he has forgiven us, when we truly understand how he has rescued us, then the only sane response that we can have is to have peace with one another to forgive one another our sins as we seek the well-being of our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so when we pray for peace and security for the sake of the house of the Lord our God, we are praying for both the protection and the unity of Christ church. When we say to one another, let us go to the house of the Lord, We are going to that one place where true peace and true security can be found. We are going to Jesus Christ, to our King of mercy. And that, my friends, is why we have joy in our hearts. It's why we praise his name. And it's why we pray. So let us be glad when we say to one another, let us go to the house of the Lord. Let's bow our heads. Father, we are extremely grateful that we can gather together in this place as brothers and sisters in Christ. That we can say to one another, let us go to the house of the Lord. We ask now that your Holy Spirit would fill us with the joy of your presence. That he would fill us with praise for your name. That he would fill us with the peace and security that can only come through your son as we seek you in prayer. And may our hearts be filled with gladness as we experience the joy of worshiping you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.